You're listening to the Coffee and Clergy Podcast. I'm Pastor Scott, and we're glad that you're joining us today. You can watch us live on YouTube or Facebook on Wednesdays at 9.30 a.m. Central. And you can always give us a listen on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Without further ado, grab a cup of joe, find a comfy chair, and enjoy the conversation. Good morning, and welcome to King of Kings. I'm Pastor Doug Chinberg. I'm Pastor Scott Pitch. We're glad to have you here today with us for our continuation in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we'll be picking up again at uh, chapter 14, so if you have your Bibles with you, you can go ahead and crack those open. Feel free to grab yourself a coffee or a tea or anything you'd like to drink and find an easy chair to get comfy. So we'll be here for a little while talking about uh, uh, Jesus' last days on earth and as recorded in Mark chapter 14. So this is the second to last, I believe, session that we're going to be in Mark during Coffee and Clergy. And so for those of you who've been along the, the, the route with us the whole time, we're glad to have you back with us. If it's your first time with us, we do have the recordings from the previous chapters um, on our YouTube and Facebook page, and you can also find us via pad, uh, podcast format wherever you get your podcast to under Coffee and Clergy. So um, track those down, and we'd encourage you to, to join in on the conversation that we're having about the Gospel of Mark. Yeah. So. so we're in the, the last days of Jesus's life. We're getting ready for the Passover, and uh, that's where Mark chapter 14 begins. And uh, But before we get into it, shall we have a prayer? Yeah, I'll pray for us about that. We thank you, God, for this day, and we pray, O Lord, that you would uh, guide our thoughts and our meditations in the study of your word. Um, As we march on the path with Jesus into his final hours, I pray, O Lord, that you would help us to hold in contemplation the sacrifice that he makes for us so that we would know the the love that he truly had for us. As we discuss all these things today, we hope that you will um, purify our our thoughts and our our words, that they might be pleasing to you, and that this study might also prove to be worship of you as well. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And uh, so we find, uh, again, Jesus just before the Lord's Supper, the last week uh, of his life, the last couple of days of his life, uh, chapter 14 starts off with Jesus being anointed mm-hmm. at Bethany, a um, uh, very special um, uh, event that while there were some that didn't appreciate what went on, uh, Jesus said, this is a, actually a very significant time in my life. Yeah, it's, I think it's an interesting title for this selection because typically when you're thinking of anointing, it's a, a formalized planned ceremony to anoint or to appoint, you could say, uh, a ruler. And it's usually done by holy men or powerful men uh, over another powerful man who's going to take leadership. And so anointing here, I think, has a is used very... Um, definitively here as a way of saying that even though those that's not the typical way of anointing, we have Jesus himself showing us that this is a good deed that's being done by this woman. So let's go ahead and dig in and we'll read uh, verses 1 to 11. So I'll read this first section okay. here. Uh, now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at table, in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with him, came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, made of pure nard. She broke the jar, and she poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time that you want. But you will not always have me. She did what was what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. 
I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Okay, we see a contrast between those who are uh, the religious leaders and Judas on the one hand and uh, this woman on the other. Mm -hmm. And so the, uh, the Jewish leaders were had an evil intent in their heart. They were uh, trying to find a way to arrest Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, uh, they were out to get him. And, uh, and we see Judas... Um, stepping in and joining uh, their evil intentions, yep. uh, as opposed to this woman, we see a very uh, a very different heart mm -hmm. uh, from this woman. Uh, yeah, the the idea just to kind of backtrack a little that the the leaders of the the church, the teachers of the law, the chief priests were trying to get at Jesus in a sly way, it just shows how much they actually feared Jesus because of his popularity with the people because of his authority and preaching and teaching and healing and his miracles. So this, these verses to me lend some, some credence to the fact that they didn't just think Jesus was just another, you know, guy who was too big for his, you know, own good. His head was too big for his own good. He was, they were, they were truly fearful of him. They kind of, they recognized the people that were following him and, and yeah. uh, that there were many that he influenced. Yeah. So this kind of just does, does some additional legwork for us in the word to show that Jesus, um, was truly a powerful, uh, man and a powerful teacher. So, but yeah, the, the question was, what was the contrast, I guess, between the religious leaders and between, um, Judas and what the woman's intentions were. So, yeah, I think uh, this is where you turn to uh, the idea that God looks at the heart, right? You have Judas who's pretending to be on Jesus' side, and you have the chief priests who... Um, would say they were on God's side. Or would say they're on God's side, for sure, but they have their own intentions, and Jesus knows their intentions. He knows Judas's intentions, too. Whereas society at large looks at this woman with scorn because of her wastefulness, and we see instead that Jesus knows the content of her heart and sees that the thing that she does, she does because she loves him and wants to um, honor him. So, And this was actually... This um, anointing of Jesus was for a very special time in his life as mm -hmm. well. Um, it wasn't just, um, while this woman may have come uh, for her, she may have thought it was a random time. Mm -hmm. For Jesus, it was a very significant time yeah. uh, because of what would take place in just a matter of a couple of days. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus, knowing that he was going to give his, his very body uh, to die on the cross for the sins of the world, and recognizing that um, this would be the act of redemption that would be offered for all human beings and that he would be buried. Um, Jesus pointed out specifically that she anointed him for his burial. Mm -hmm. And when you place this, this anointing in context, too, you see that it kind of attaches to events that happened earlier in the week when Jesus' triumphal entry happened and how it was kind of an unconventional way for a king to enter the city. Well, now he has an unconventional way of anointing him as king. So you kind of see this uh, this tie, I think. It might be a little hazy to see, but this tie-in between Jesus being an unconventional king. Uh, the people around who want him to be the king are sorely disappointed when they see what he really is, that he's not this military hero who's going to come and conquer the Romans and kick him out. But Jesus... So, you know, he says the king, his kingdom is not of this world. He has an unconventional kingdom in our eyes. And so his, his triumphal entry and his anointing are also very unconventional. So. Yeah. I, just as you read it, it there was a, a phrase that stood out in verse eight. Um, uh, she did what she could. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we, uh, in a very practical sense, we ask ourselves, what can we do uh, for God? What can we do for his kingdom? What can we do as his followers? Uh, sometimes we're not sure quite what to do. And 
God might ask us the question, what can you do? Yeah, this takes me in my mind back to the story from last time about the woman with the coins, right? She gave, she did what she could do, right? Absolutely. And so you have these people that are, they're lavishing richly upon, you know, upon God and his church and Jesus with all that they can do, even though they don't possess much. Yeah. So, yeah. And, uh, and the same is true with us. There are things uh, all around us every day that we can do uh, uh, to further God's kingdom, to follow him, uh, to pray on behalf of another. Um, yep. And God would have us do those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so how did the words going on in verse 9, how did the words uh, uh, point beyond his death? He said, I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has been done um, will will also be told uh, in memory of her. And uh, so how does this point beyond Jesus' death? We don't have her name. We don't have, uh, you know, her a great detailed history of who she is. She enters into the story and she leaves the story. But there's very few people that Jesus puts a bookmark on and says, pay attention, this person will be noted for all history. Uh, and truly, I mean, the remember, you have to remember the Bible was not written during Jesus' time. It was written after Jesus' time. And the the writers, I think, in several of the Gospels record this event as something significant that happened. Because I think they see that this is God's way of showcasing Jesus is the king. He has a triumphal entry. He has an anointing. And it's a it's a beautiful anointing because this woman pours out all she has for Jesus. Yeah. And so we, we're talking about her today. Yeah. And, <laughs> 2020. And, G- and Jesus said, wherever the gospel is preached, mm-hmm. and so the gospel is the good news of yep. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And so Jesus was even pointing beyond his death. Mm-hmm. Um into the life that he would have after uh, he rose from the dead. Yeah. And uh, so, and, uh, and then why was uh, the offer of Judas important to the plan of the religious leaders? Well, they were wanting a sly way to get to him, and so they knew they would never be able to get to Jesus while he was out in public amongst the people. He was too popular. They, had, they, they valued him too much. They cried out for his gifts of healing and, and teaching. And so they would never be able to get to him in a, in a public forum. And they tried to trick him several times by getting at him mentally. And they know they couldn't do that. They couldn't trick him to, you know, into answering something wrong. And so they, they're trying to think, what's the best way to get at somebody when you can't approach them in public? Well, what if you can, what if you can get at somebody in his inner circle? And so they, they get into Judas and they say, how we will give you some silver. If you do this deed for us. So. And we, we see later in the week when Jesus was arrested and before Pilate, there was a riot that almost broke out at mm-hmm. that time. And that's what the religious leaders were concerned about, yep. is if they were to apprehend Jesus in, uh, in a public place um, as he was teaching. Uh, people would revolt and, and begin to riot. And there's an irony, too, because it says the in verse uh, 2 that the people who are trying to get to Jesus said, but not during the feast because the people may riot, but they end up actually getting him during the feast of the Passover because they know the people are going to be in their homes, they're going to be shut shut in, doing preparations for the Passover, and they won't be able to come out into the streets and riot. So it's actually ironic that they do end up doing it during the, the feast yeah. for, the, for the exact opposite reason that they said. <laughs> so, Shall we go on? Yes. Okay, then the next section talks about uh, Jesus and the Lord's Supper, and so verses 12 through 26. It says, On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them, and so they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve, 
And while they were reclining at the table, eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely not I. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them, I tell you the truth, I will not drink again the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And so here we see again the Passover event. And how did this Passover event, how does it connect with the first Passover event that took place uh, in the Old Testament? Well, I think it's best to just kind of walk through that story that... um, the the pa- original Passover was the last of the ten plagues sent on Egypt to convince Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go. So Moses told them, "Let my pe- God says, let my people go, and if you don't, there's going to be consequences. And so after numerous plagues and numerous offers by Pharaoh to let the people go and then reneging that, that offer, uh, God has finally had it. And so he, he sends the last plague, which is the, the death of the firstborn of all of Egypt. And so to save the people of Israel from that certain doom of the firstborn, he gives them the, the commandment, you could say, to sacrifice a lamb, take its blood, put it across the, the door frame of the house, and then the angel of death would not enter into that house and take the firstborn from that household. He would pass over their he house. He would pass over that house, which yeah. is where the word Passover comes from. Okay. And so in this imagery, I mean, and this is what happens, the, that night while, while after the feast, um, God gives certain commandments for them to, to be ready to go. Um, they, they wear their travel clothes as they bed down for the night. Um, he gives specific commands about what to eat and what to drink and how the feast should go. And um, he does all of this as a, as a way of saying to Israel, take note of what's happening, and I want you to celebrate this in memory of what I'm about to do. And God sends the angel of death upon the people of Israel, the firstborn children of all those who are not covered in the, the blood of the lamb are killed. And then Pharaoh in his grief says, go, even though he once again tries to renege on that promise. At this time, God's having nothing of it. And the people of Israel are are free. They walk across the dry land of the Red Sea into the, well, 40 years of wandering in the desert. But yeah. they, they are now a people that are free. So in this analogy, you can see that um, Jesus utilizes the, the imagery and the kind of very themes of the Passover frankly, God uses it to, to say that I'm going to do this for all people, that anyone who covers themselves in the blood of the lamb, they will not taste death. So essentially, the, the Lord's Supper is a, a, an extension of the Passover covenant, that it's no longer about doing the eating the, you know, the, the proper foods, and it's no longer about putting the blood on the door, literally. Now we cover ourselves in the body and the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, and that keeps us from the, the punishment and the wrath of God due to our sin. I like to talk about that Old Testament uh, account as the, the great deliverance in the mm. Old Testament, and we see how God delivered his people, and now uh, Jesus is going to deliver his people uh, through his own life as the the lamb who mm-hmm. shed his blood for us. Yeah. And, uh, and that's where you see a, co- a coherent and consistent message from the very beginning of the Bible to the very end. Mm-hmm. You see in in Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible, this imagery of the lamb being the sacrifice. You see in Jesus, the lamb who is slain, and then you see the lamb again at the last day. You see the lamb 
being the symbol of we that hear, which... We hear John the Baptist pointing mm-hmm. to him and saying, Behold the, the Lamb, Lamb of God, God who takes away the sin of the world. And so the la- this Lamb imagery from the very beginning is part of God's plan that deliverance comes through the sacrifice. And God gives the sacrifice. If you want to quote, quote Abraham, God will provide the Lamb. Yeah. So. We have a different enemy in the Old Testament. The enemy was Egypt and Pharaoh and the New Testament... Uh, we find Jesus delivering us from our greatest enemies of sin and death and Satan. Mm-hmm. And, and and that deliverance that he gives us, as we trust in him, no one can take it away yeah. from us. And today when, when, we, when we have communion, that's why we take it uh, so seriously. That's why we teach it. And that's why we um, hold it so sacred is it's God's, it's, it's God's means of grace for us. It's how he communicates to us on a on a routine basis, the salvation which is ours in Christ. In a very personal way, mm-hmm. and uh, to remind us that we have the forgiveness of sins. And it comes with that spiritual element, but it also comes with that tangible physical element, so that we, in our spiritual bodies and in our physical bodies, know God's promise. So. And yet, here at this very intimate meal, we see that there's kind of a violation mm. of... of of the of the sacredness of the intimacy uh, that Jesus shared, and uh, we see that because we recognize someone is present that will betray Jesus. Yeah, we call the we call it communion today, and we talk about how it's the the meal of the fellowship, and we gather together. That's what Lutherans especially take it very seriously that we are to be united in Christ when we approach the altar. Because if there's division amongst the body of Christ, then we don't drink worthily of the sacrament. And it's true from the from the very beginning when Jesus held the very first communion, the very first Lord's Supper. There were those in His midst that were not in unity with Him, with Him, yeah. which is a, a sad place to be because that's what God desires: is unity in His people. Yeah. And so Jesus spoke a number of words. One of the things he, he spoke about was his betrayer. And, and what did he say about his betrayer? Uh, yeah. But that he was right. He'll, he's right here beside me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's one among you that will betray me. He will even dip his bread in the same part, bowl with me. Yeah, in the meal um, with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, again, a, that points out the intimacy that took place in that, that meal. Yeah. Jesus and his disciples. And um, and yet, uh, Jesus, as he gives a warning, he also identifies that uh, God's will uh, is being done because um, uh, he said um, uh, what will happen to him will happen just as it has been written. Yeah, and which if it can happen to Jesus where God's will is that someone would seek to harm him, then why do we, why do we act surprised when... In our life, there's things that happen that cause us to suffer, that hurt us. If even his own dear son was betrayed by those closest to him, there there is a likelihood that we sinners will have people betray us in our life, that we'll have confidences broken. That doesn't make it right, but it certainly means that if Jesus has endured this and overcome it, we, by imitating him, can do the same. Yeah. And so is, is Jesus going to hold Judas uh, accountable for his actions? Well, God certainly will. I mean, it's yeah. it's sinful. Um, yet the same mercies that are extended to all sinful people in Christ's death and resurrection have been extended to Judas. Mm-hmm. And so it's a... But Jesus made a statement here that uh, kind of identifies that he won't place his trust in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus makes that comment, it would have been better if he would not have been born. Yeah, which is a... That's a very intimidating thing to say to somebody, right? Yeah. It'd be better for you not to be born. Well, it's it's true in this circumstance. I mean, if if not for the immediate consequences of, of God's wrath upon him for for betraying his own dear son, then certainly it's uh, consequences that have resounded um, for generations after generation as we talk about Judas Iscariot. The name itself holds disdain for us as God's people because of his betrayal. And so it would have been better for Judas never to be mentioned, <laughs> never to be born, because his legacy is one of betrayal. And Jesus even, at, at the end of this meal, even points again to something beyond um, 
at the end of his conversation here in Mark's gospel, mm-hmm. um, he made the comment, I tell you the truth, I will not drink again the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And so, again, Jesus is pointing, uh, even though he knows he's going to die, he's going to be buried, he's pointing beyond that uh, time of death and grave uh, to a time where they will be gathered again. Yeah. And, uh, and it points to the, the joy that we'll have in the feast that is to come, that the Lord himself will join us in that feast, and he will take joy in sharing in it with us. And so it's a beautiful image, I think. Yeah, we, we talk about uh, the end of the world. Uh, I guess John talks about it in the book of Revelation. Uh, he pictures Christ coming again in, the, in a similar way of a bridegroom mm. coming for his bride, coming, yep. Jesus coming for his people. And um, uh, they were in the same way, if when a, uh, a man and a woman get married, there's most often a very joyous celebration and that will be the case when Christ comes again. With good food, man. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but the best. Yeah, that's right. My grandma's apple pie will be right there on the table. <laughs> uh, so yeah. shall we go on? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, beginning with verse 27. Do you want to read? Sure thing. <clears throat> uh, this is the denial of Peter, the prediction of the denial. Uh, you will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written... I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter declared, even if all fall away, I will not. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same. Okay, Jesus, uh, in the midst of, again, another uh, kind of low spot in the life of of Peter, Mm -hmm. uh, Jesus gives assurance in verse 28 um, when he says, but after I have risen. And so again, he's he's trying to inform the disciples, even though they're they're going to be shocked and dismayed and go into hiding uh, at the time of Jesus's death, he wants to remind them over and over again that he will rise from the dead. He mm-hmm. wants to give them that, that gospel hope. Yeah. And um, I was just thinking it can be so easy to criticize the disciples when you read their, their cowardice and their lack of understanding in the scriptures. But we have to acknowledge that we have the benefit of, of hindsight in every way. And they didn't, they, they didn't know these things. They didn't have the benefit of hindsight. And especially when we critique people like Peter for the zeal, the misplaced zeal perhaps that he has, we should be very careful because we have to ask ourselves, would we have done any better? And I don't yeah. think so. <laughs> no. I really don't think so. I, but when you see Peter's faith and you see how he abandons all else to follow Jesus and how he um, you know, joins Jesus in, in the mission that he has when he's here on earth, I don't think I would have done any better than him. And so it's easy to be critical, but we shouldn't be. Yeah. All through this chapter, um, it'll come up again where the disciples failed Jesus. Mm-hmm. In fact, all through the scriptures, uh, we see it over and over again. Yeah. And uh, um, so there, we're going to, we'll, we'll directly uh, address that question as well as we get mm-hmm. uh, further in the story. Yep. Um, but uh, here Peter made a, a declaration that he would follow Jesus even if he would die for him. And, um, and yet, uh, and while we see, uh, I mean, he made that declaration because of his love for Jesus, because of his faith in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet um, he showed that he had no understanding of, of his weakness. Yep. And the same thing happens with us each and every day. Mm-hmm. We forget about our weaknesses. We do things that we don't want to do. We don't do things that we should do. <laughs> and uh, th- that's the story of God's people. Yet in the midst of that, um, Jesus steps into our presence and he offers us grace and forgiveness. Yep. And, and that, becomes, that becomes our hope. Um, uh, in the midst of things we cannot see, in the midst of a COVID pandemic, um, God steps into the middle of it and he assures us that uh, he is in control, even though at times things don't make sense. Yep. Um, 
And that's the only hope we really have. That's right. (laughs) That lasts anyway. We we look at our election that's coming up Mm -hmm. and we, you know, some people uh, 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 despair if one person gets elected, another group of people despair if another person gets elected. And and yet our ultimate hope, our ultimate peace uh, is to recognize that God rules over the world. Yep. and can work through whichever person is elected to uh, to accomplish his purposes. Yeah. yeah. All right. So the the if we keep going on the next section, we find Jesus and his disciples going to Gethsemane in verse 32, beginning with verse 32. Uh, it says they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, "Said here while I pray." He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing, uh, prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And um, and so um, we find Jesus here with uh, with his disciples and. Uh, but what did Jesus do in this most critical hour? What do we find him doing here in the garden? He prays. Uh, yeah, he goes to his father with his his concerns of his heart, his uh, in his mind, in his his you know his the danger to his body. He goes to the Lord with his needs. Yeah, and he talks about a, a cup. Asked that the cup be taken away from him. Yeah. What was he referring to here? Well, you have the the imagery of the cup from the Lord's Supper, but this is a different cup. This is God's cup of wrath. The cup of salvation is the cup that we drink in in communion that that has been given to us, and it's been given to us because the cup that we deserve, the cup of wrath, was drank by His Son. Okay, was, was God's wrath against Jesus? It was against. It was taken out against Jesus, certainly, okay. but it was, it was Jesus here in His accepting the cup of wrath that God gave Him, um, taking the wrath that was due to each one of us upon okay. Himself. Yeah, for our own sin. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so Jesus was willing to drink that, and and then He goes off to the garden, and as He begins to talk to God. Uh, he calls him, talks to him in a very special way, very yeah. intimate way. What word does he use? He uses the word Abba, which is the the word for father. Um, it's a, it's it's technically not the word for father. I don't think. I think it's more of the word for like daddy. It's like the okay. the common word that uh, it was a familial word more so than like a formalized word. And so um, it's written in Aramaic, uh, which shows cases for for us, since Aramaic would have been the the language, the colloquial language of the home during this period of time, that he's he's speaking in a way as if though he were talking, you know, to his own papa, his daddy, and and uh, it's a beautiful word, Abba. I, I was kind of joking with Pastor Doug before this that that uh, today. Um, Moms have such an advantage when there's a baby that's learning to speak because mama is so much easier to say than dada. It, it takes a lot more de- development of the, the tongue and the mouth to say dada than it does to say mama. But back in Jesus's day, it was Abba for dada and Ima for mama. And so it was actually an advantage to dad because Abba was such an easy thing to say for babies. And so um, Abba is a very, very special word um, reserved for the relationship between a child and their, and their dad. Okay. And how does Jesus show his, his love towards his father, his submission uh, 
to the Father's will. What does what does he say in his prayer? Yeah, he he knows what's ahead for him, and he commends whatever will be to the Lord. It's one of the hardest things uh, for human beings to do because we want control. He did what. Adam could not do in the garden and what Eve could not do in the garden. He relinquished control to the Father and said, your will be done. Yeah, Jesus kind of gives us a, a, a pattern about how we should pray at times mm-hmm. if we're in a difficult place. Um, there may be times where we can ask God, you know, will you take this difficulty away from me? Um, but Jesus' uh, submission to his Father, he goes on to say, but not my will but yours be done. Yeah. Uh, no matter what, I'm going to trust you. Mm-hmm. No matter what, I'm going to place my life in your hands. It's heartbreaking when you hear stories of people who were Christians and fell away from faith because of tragedy in their life. Um, because you know that when those tragedies were hitting, they were praying to God to be delivered from those tragedies. And God, for whatever reason, said no. And that's a that's a tough place to be as a human being because we come, we come to God in faith trusting in his promises to take care of us, and yet things happen in this world that God permits, and we don't know why. That's where we must, like Jesus, say, but not my will be done, but yours, because you know better than I. And even even at the, ven- at the end of this section of Scripture, he tells his disciples, you know, uh, look, this is, I mean, Jesus probably had the chance to run away. Mm-hmm. He had the chance to hide in the garden. Uh, but he says, okay, look, my betrayer is now coming. They're going mm-hmm. to, they're going to take me away. Yep. And, uh, he wants his disciples, um, uh, to recognize what's going to happen to him because they will be his witnesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, Shall we keep, going? Right. keep yeah. going to the next section? Jesus so we'll being pick arrested. Up, yeah, pick up at 43. So just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the 12, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one that I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled." Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving the garment behind. Okay. Uh, and so it's uh, uh, Judas, one of Jesus' close, intimate 12, mm-hmm. one part of the 12, come and he, he arranges a signal um, to identify Jesus in the strangest way, and what signal is that? It's a kiss, yeah, a sign of of uh, an intimate relationship, not not a rela- uh, romantic relationship, but of a, a friendship. You Very could say. close, intimate, mm-hmm. yeah, relationship, and uh, one that um, uh, would have offered respect and um, uh, a very high view, and yet that was the that was the signal that. Uh, Jesus was the one to arrest. Yeah, it's the the contrast between his inward intention and his outward display is so vast that he would betray a friend with a kiss. It's just one of the most profoundly contradictory things about about this this whole narrative is that you have it's when you have a rotten heart, typically the outward side reflects that. When the Pharisees hate Jesus and want to destroy him, you see that they they scheme outwardly as well as inwardly. But here you have Judas coming to Jesus with a kiss. He's not done one single thing outwardly in the presence of anyone else to suggest that he is a betrayer. He, in fact, he does quite the opposite. He approaches him as a beloved friend and then betrays him. Yeah. So. And even calls him by a, uh, in a respected yeah. way, calls rabbi. him rabbi, rabbi. Then we have a couple of other strange things that happen. We're told that uh, uh, then one of those near Jesus drew a sword and struck the servant and cut off his ear. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, 
we have in the other Gospels, uh, kind of the rest of the story is then Jesus reaches out and, and heals mm -hmm. that man. And actually, um, in other places in Scripture, it gives him the name of Malchus. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, and then we have another interesting story at the end of this section uh, of a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment who is following Jesus. And they when they seized him, he fled away and he left his garment behind and he ran away naked. Um, uh, why might that story be here in the gospel? Well, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong because I didn't research this, but I believe this is a autobiograph, autobiographical statement that um, John Mark here, I think, was the young man who was trailing behind. That's who we think it was. And yeah. so um, he tells this as a way of kind of putting, inserting himself in the story. It's kind of like sometimes when, when artists paint a, a great big picture with lots of people in it, they'll still put themselves in the corner to kind of say, oh, and there I am too. Uh, it's, it's sort of an autobiographical sketch, if you will. So. Okay. And, uh, and so we, we, we have these, you know, sometimes we think strange things happen in mm -hmm. life, and yet we see some strange things going on yeah. uh, here in the life and times of Christ uh, as well. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and uh, so we can uh, continue on as Jesus is taking before the Sanhedrin, beginning with verse 53. Uh, it says, They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, elders and teachers of the law, came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this man-made temple, and in three days will build another, but uh, not made by men. Yet even, yet even then their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going uh, to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? He asked. You have heard this blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit on him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, Prophesy! And the guards took him and beat him. And um, so here we have, in contrast to Jesus' bold proclamation of who he is, uh, we also see one of Jesus' closest friends, Peter, and what does he do? And denies Jesus, yeah. Uh, which just like Judas, maybe to a lesser extent in human terms, but it's a betrayal, you know, that yeah. that the one who walks with Jesus and repeatedly claimed uh, allegiance to Jesus is now denying the fact that he even knows him. Yeah. Why do you think he did that? Fear. Oh, fear. He was afraid that <laughs> yeah. what they were doing to Jesus, yep. they could do to him. Yeah. Perfectly, perfectly logical human reaction to accusations. It's the reaction that little kids have when somebody points fingers at them. It's like, I didn't do it. Yeah. You know, it's what Adam and Eve got in trouble for doing is they, when God came to the garden to ask them what had happened, they denied it and pointed fingers at other people. Yeah. And what was it that caused Peter to realize actually what he said and what, what he was doing? Uh, the rooster crowed and okay. revealed that in, in that crowing of the rooster, he remembered Jesus' words. Okay. And it must have stabbed him like a knife in the gut because I think it brought him down pretty hard. Yeah, and so uh, how, did, how did Peter respond after that? How did he feel? What happened? Um, um, yeah, well, he went away weeping bitterly is, is one, one telling of it. So Yeah, his, his heart was broken. He realized that he had lied. He was filled with shame and grief and sorrow. Um, uh, over what he had done. Mm -hmm. uh, 
remembering that he had told Jesus earlier in the night, you know, that he would never deny him, uh, that he would never do such a thing, that he was willing to give his life for Jesus. And uh, Jesus said, no, this is what's going to happen. And uh, and in fact, Peter then denied him. Mm -hmm. And uh, so how can Peter's denial here serve as a warning for us in our day? Uh, to be careful about the the boldness with which you put yourself at high in high positions instead walk humbly and um, give give glory to God in any circumstances yeah we think think back to what Jesus had said to his disciples when they were there in the garden and uh, they they he spoke that one phrase the the body the body is willing or the the flesh, flesh. Uh, is willing, but or the the spirit, spirit is, is willing, willing, but the flesh, but is, the flesh is weak. weak. Mm -hmm. And um, we see over and over again the weakness of uh, the disciples, the weakness of Judas, the weakness of Peter. Uh, we recognize our own weaknesses as we go through life. Mm -hmm. And um, and even though we are willing, our spirit is willing to follow Him. We say we'll do anything. Uh, there are so many times where we get caught in a tight spot, and uh, we. <laughs> either don't say anything at all we you know we don't acknowledge that we know god but sometimes we don't say anything at all yep and uh, and and so i it causes me also to think about the lord's prayer and um as we think about the lord's prayer in the face of persecution uh what are some of the petitions in the lord's prayer uh that might be helpful to us well your will be done is always one that that closely images Jesus' prayer in the garden, right? That in all circumstances, God's will is done. Um, prayer for uh, his kingdom to come is another one, too. Yeah. That uh, while while the kingdom of the world, kingdoms of the world still um, hold authority, uh, there will always be uh, discord in this world. There will always be sin. So we pray that God's kingdom would come, that this present evil age would pass away and we might have uh, joy in his eternal kingdom. Yeah. I also think of the petition, lead us not into temptation, mm. uh, but deliver us from evil. Yeah. Uh, that is our, our, our prayer and desire. And, um, uh, and God wants, wants to keep us safe and, and, and yet we know, um, that God will ultimately keep us safe uh, in his hands, even, even in our last hour, in yep. our last moment. Um, he's given us that promise, and that's a promise he'll never, uh, never take away. And, um, and so... Um, We've got to read the last section still, yeah, right? Yeah, okay. I think we got a little ahead of ourselves oh. talking about Peter. We okay. got onto that topic from something else, but we'll go ahead and uh, read verse 66 down to 72 then. Um, okay. So while Jesus was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene, Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow was one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you're one of them, for you are a Galilean. He again he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I do not know that this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and he wept. Okay. So... And, uh... We've discussed the questions, and we discussed kind of the psychology that Peter had, but it's uh, still a hard thing to read, is you can see yourself in that text. Mm -hmm. How many times, perhaps not verbally or emphatically with curses being called down upon ourselves, but how often by our actions and our thoughts do we deny Jesus? And we we would be quick to admit in our in our true and humble selves that we often do that, and it's... Um, I can I can tell a story of one time where I denied the Lord. It's oh. you know put myself out there. This is juicy uh, stuff. Oh, straight from um, the horse's it's when, mouth. It's when I was in college <laughs> mm -hmm. and I was considering going into the seminary. Yep. 
And uh, there was one day, uh, I remember I was walking across campus, uh, and I was going to go to our, our Lutheran Student Center, and um, uh, I was carrying my Bible. And I, I recognized that the, the cover of the Bible faced outward, and I, I quickly flipped it over. Mm. And then, it, then it, it hit me, what are you doing? And um, here, that was a, a simple way where I didn't want others to see that I was carrying God's word and, uh, and tried to hide it. And, and sometimes those uh, things happen so quickly without even our thinking about it. And, um, and that was a, a time uh, where I remember, you know, I, I, you know, it was a time that led me to talk with God and say, God, forgive me. What am I doing? I'm... I'm um, uh, have the desire to go into your uh, into your service, and and yet I'm I'm trying to hide that I'm one of your followers. Mm. And uh, how could you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, there there are things that we do in life that sometimes even without a thought, mm-hmm. um, we uh, deny knowing God. We try to hide it in some way. And one of the things I I mean. Yeah, it's not quite so tame as turning the Bible upside down. But you you played sports as a as a young man, and I remember in, when I was in college football, there were lots of times where you kind of just don't allow your your faith in Christ to 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 shine out because other people are carrying on with their antics, and you just want to kind of get along and go along, so you don't bring up no, that's not right, we shouldn't be doing that kind of stuff. You just let it happen, you know. And it's it is a denial of the Savior of you and of all mankind when we don't allow our Christian faith to, to live it, live it out in the world. So, yeah. Yeah. So when, when we act like Peter, what assurances does God give us? Um, well, the story I love to read, it's not in Mark, you won't find it in Mark, but in the gospel of John, after Jesus is raised from the dead, he, he shows up at the lakeside with the disciples and he kind of eats with them, which is beautiful because it proves that Jesus isn't a ghost because he's eating food. He has a body. But then he goes aside with Peter and um, he asks him, Peter, do you love me? And uh, Peter says, yeah, Lord, I love you. You know that I love you. And he says, feed my lambs. And then he asks him again, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, Jesus, I love you. Okay, feed my sheep. And then he asks him a third time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter realizes what Jesus is doing in this moment. He's giving him a chance to kind of overwrite his three denials with three confirmations of his love for Jesus. And and Peter gets kind of emotional in, at this point and says, you know all things, Lord, you know that I love you. And it's kind of a beautiful way of showing reconciliation and broken relationships that Jesus knows that Peter denied him three times. And yet he gives Peter a chance here to heal that relationship. And in so doing, he also gives him a strong sending into the world on his behalf. And so it's a pretty powerful story when you tie it together with this example of the denials that Peter has. It shows how, it shows for me the, the power of the transformation of the resurrection that that when we believe in Christ crucified and rise from the dead, we can we can set aside our fear and be confident in in Christ's resurrection, even to the point of being willing to give up our lives. You see it on the rest of the disciples when Jesus is arrested, everybody scatters and they hide. They have nothing to do with the authorities out there, and yet all of them, except for one, are willing, ready, and able to give up their lives for Jesus after the resurrection. So the transformation, the power of transformation in, in, that is found in the resurrection of Christ is, is mighty, and it's, it's power that gives us hope. Yeah, God gives us assurances uh, as well today. Um, when we fall in sin each and every week, as we come to church, as we gather around the altar mm-hmm. uh, and receive the body and blood of Christ, yeah. he reminds us of his love for us. Um, even when we've failed in, in miserable ways, um, uh, Jesus invites us to come to him. Mm-hmm. And uh, in a similar way, he's, he says, do you love me? If you mm-hmm. love me, take my body. Yeah. If you love me, take my blood yep. and let me forgive you. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
remind you who you are in our baptism, and I'll send you out again to do my work and will. And that's the Christian life, and that's why it's so beautiful. Uh, it gives life this immense purpose, and, and we have such gratitude that, that life isn't just something to be lived day by day, but we walk in a newness of purpose and newness of life in, in the resurrection of Christ. So. Yeah. And as we face each day, be, you know, we think that Jesus suffered all kinds of hardships and ridicule mm-hmm. and rejection. Uh, should we be surprised if we face the same thing? No. It's, what it does, actually, is it produces perseverance within us. We're getting into Paul's writings at this point, but it's, it's important to acknowledge that when Jesus is arrested and betrayed and, and murdered and uh, denied, that it, he's experienced all this. He's paid the price for all of this. And when we walk in the same ridicule of mankind and the same pain of this world, we're growing more like Christ. Yeah. And, and we're being uh, equipped by God to do his will through yeah. that suffering. He continues to, uh, to work in our life and to shape us and make us in his image. Mm. And what a blessing that is for us as his people. doesn't feel like it at the yeah. time. Yeah. But suffering never does. But in hindsight, when you look back at sufferings in your life and you see how they've shaped your character and given you the ability to overcome this world's hardships, it's a blessing. And it, then, it be, then you can look at it like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we see what God, it's, and that's a nice thing to be able to look back on our life yep. uh, and see what God has done um, as he's worked in and through us. Uh, uh, again, to make us in his image. Even secular folks who don't believe in, in Jesus will acknowledge that suffering does that. But the beauty of faith in Christ is that we are the only people in the world who can look at suffering presently and see its benefit. Mm-hmm. We don't have to wait till we're old to look back on the suffering of our youth to say, oh, I see what God was doing there. We can trust in God today that even though we are enduring these hardships in the world, it is going to produce in us a fruit of faith. And so that's a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. And maybe that's a good place to stop before we get into the last two chapters as we hear about Christ's death and then his resurrection. Um, Kind of a big deal. Yeah. (laughs) It's uh, kind of the... we we build to the pinnacle of the of the gospel and yep. and uh, so we're we're there. So, uh, um, but we do have maybe a couple of announcements we can share with the folks that are are listening or watching sure. online. Sounds good. And um, one is just a reminder that this coming Sunday is daylight savings time, and so remember we fall back one hour. Uh, just as a reminder, and uh, so I encourage you to mark your calendars and put out reminders so that you fall back this. Uh, going from Saturday into Sunday morning. Yeah, and we're going to have uh, communion on November 8th, I think is what yes. it is. So it's a few weeks from today. So just to make sure everyone's aware of that, we'll have communion for those who are gathered in the service with us. And for those who aren't able to, we'll have it later uh, at 1 p.m. on that Sunday. Yeah, this coming Sunday will be All Saints. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sunday where we will be the Sunday we celebrate All Saints. Uh, and uh, as a part of our worship service, we remember those who have fallen asleep in the Lord over this last year, and we remember and recognize them as part of the service and give thanks to God for their life in Him. And uh, so some things coming up this next weekend. Yep. I guess the last announcement is next week is our last session for the Gospel of Mark. Um, we've got some ideas for what we're going to do moving forward. Uh, a lot of it will be shaped around the idea of uh, what we call two kingdoms theology, this idea that that there is one king, that there is actually one kingdom, but it's in two realms, the realm of the left hand and the realm of the right. And so um, the earthly powers and the heavenly powers. And so we'll uh, get into that and what it means to be a, a citizen as we as God's people are citizens in his two realms. And so okay. it should be an interesting discussion that has a lot of um, a lot of tendrils that reach into our daily living. So look forward to that. Very good. Very good. Shall we close in prayer? Yeah, please do. All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and his life given for us. We ask, Lord, that um, at those times we look at our life and we see where we have denied you, where we have betrayed you, where we have fallen short of uh, being who you created us to be. We ask for your forgiveness. Uh, We ask for your grace. We thank you for your continual love for us, knowing that we have forgiveness, uh, knowing that we too are your children. 
in the midst of the challenges and hardships we face. Uh, we look to Jesus. We see how he talked to you and prayed to you. We ask that you would help us do the same. And even when we don't say, uh, you remind us that the Holy Spirit is there praying for us. So be with us this day. Uh, guide us. Help us to follow you in all that we say and in all that we do. And uh, again, we just simply thank you for this time uh, to hear your word um, and to be encouraged by it. And so we go forth in your name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thanks for being with us. Go in peace. Have a great day in the Lord and we'll see you next time. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Coffee and Clergy podcast. We're glad you could join the conversation. Coffee and Clergy is a ministry of King of Kings Lutheran Church in Chesterfield, Missouri. You can watch it live on YouTube or Facebook Wednesdays at 9.30 a.m. Central, and we post the podcast on Thursdays. For more information, check out our website at www.kokstl.org. Blessings on your day, and we'll see you next time.